I think mine. All right, here's the big test. Can you hear me? Can you raise your hand if you can hear me? Raise your hand high. Okay, oh, good. This is already starting out perfect. Um, so as I was talking to people while I was testing sound before, I talk real fast because I'm from Chicago and people in Chicago talk really fast in general. So um, if you, if I am starting to talk like accelerating speed, just be like this and I'm gonna try to slow down talking, okay? So please help me by doing that. Don't just sit being like, man, she's talking so fast, they don't understand anything she's saying. Because um, obviously that's pointless. So, um, so awesome. I'm super grateful to be here tonight. Um, and this is a really amazing opportunity. Um, good things do come from Rockford. And in fact, Rockford is very similar to Cedar Rapids that I'm finding out. So I feel very at home here, feel like this is, I'm pretty much back in Rockford. It's very similar. So that's been really awesome. Um, to start the talk, I wanna kinda give um, a broad introduction of kind of why is it worth listening to Sister Stephanie's random story about her life. And then I'm gonna go into, obviously, my own story. Because um, I need, I am continuously trying to remind myself of why it's important to understand my own story. Why, see, louder. Why, why it's important to, better? Okay, thank you. Why it's important to understand my own story and why it's important to continuously work on reading the stories of others, the saints, other people who are holy, on their way to be saints, all these things. So I want to start with that, and then I'll go into my story. So what is all of our goals? Everyone has the same goal in this room, I believe. What is the goal? To go to heaven. Exactly. It's simple. Very simple. And then who are the people who live in heaven? Saints. Oh my gosh, yes, good. This is not like, I'm going to be a middle school teacher, so sometimes it's like dragging answers out of people, so this is great. Um, so, um, so if we're, if our goal is heaven and the people in heaven are saints, that means that our goal, obviously, is to become saints. A amazing opportunity for us all that we've all been given as we've all been consecrated in our baptisms. Uh, we've all been consecrated to be saints been able to go begin this journey with the Lord in our growing in our relationship with Jesus through the, our consecration in our baptism. So all of us, every single person is consecrated through their baptism, not consecrated like me, like a sister, but everyone shares in the same consecration. In fact, religious life itself, being a sister, priest, or brother, a religious priest, is, is a deepening of your baptismal consecration. So what I'm, what we try to do as religious sisters, priests, and brothers is to live out the our baptismal calling in a different, more radical, set apart way, as a as a supposed to be a witness to others, because we have been set apart by the call, our call from God. So we're called to be saints, all of us here through our consecration in our baptism. So that's where I wanna, that's the reason that we listen to other people's stories. Our faith, the Christian story it, in itself is the, of course, as you've heard before, the greatest story ever told. The great meta-narrative of our lives. The great meta-narrative of everything that's ever happened. 
Um, and all of our stories play a really important part in this grand scheme of amazing, God's amazing plan for the world. So I hope that you're able to look at my story in this context of one, um, someone who's attempting to pull how God is mysteriously working in my life, trying to be able to discern how God is working in my life and the journey that that mystery has pulled me upon. So awesome. So my story. So I was, as stated in the intro, um, I was born and raised in Rockford, Illinois, which is remarkably similar to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And, um, and so um, I went to public school actually all the way through um, my, actually all the way until I got my master's in theology, I went to public school. And um, this was a great gift to me, actually. God knew what he was doing in placing me, um, allowing this to happen, in that I encountered a lot of amazing people that I wouldn't have encountered in a Catholic school setting. Um, my, my high school, in fact, in Rockford, had a 70% dropout rate. So my class, when I was a freshman, had 560 kids. And by the time I graduated as a senior, had 260 kids. A dramatic, dramatic, thank you, a dramatic wake-up call about the problem of urban poverty in America started when I was, my encounter with this started when I was 14. Kind of the beginnings of these inklings to, that I knew that I needed to do something. I had no idea, I didn't have faith at this point, but that there was something that God was calling me to do something about this situation. But um, I was not invested in my faith. I was raised Catholic. Thank you. I was raised Catholic. Um, I received the sacraments of initiation, but my mom was not Catholic when I was growing up. Um, and I was, my dad was nominally Catholic, kind of. We went to church on Sundays, and that was it, um, which I'm very blessed that we did go to Mass when I was a kid. So, um, so here I am, this kind of wandering kid, and he would do my thing. And, um, but what I was really, really dedicated and absolutely focused on was running. So I started running when I was nine, competitively running, and I ended up being extremely good very fast. Um, I, was, I, ran, I won 19 conference championships in high school, and I um, was all state a bunch of times and I was recruited to run for University of Illinois. So I went to U of I, um, not, I shouldn't say that here, University of Illinois, sorry. Um, <laughs> and so, apologize. And um, so, um, and um, very, very blessed to be the sixth fastest freshman in the nation in 2006. I was part of the teams that placed um, eighth, sixth, and tenth in the nation between 2006 and 2008 in, um, in Division One. So this was a huge blessing and an amazing part of my life. But more importantly than the stats for the story was that um, running had completely taken over my life. My entire life revolved around running. Everything I did revolved around running, eating, sleeping, my social life, my school, everything revolved around maximizing my running performance. I had pretty much been completely consumed by the sport um, and very, it was very difficult. I was a 
very difficult to distract from the, which is good for performance, but not good for general health. So I, um, but then when I, in my sophomore year in college, I was on a regular training run, regular training run um, out in Champaign, and all of a sudden, a bone in my foot just cracked in half. I was just running normal, and all of a sudden, this bone just cracked. So I was, I was running, this is not like a normal thing, I was running like 70 miles a week at the time, trying to maximize my performance for track, and this ended up happening. So, like I was mentioning, running was such, it defined who I was. So when this was taken away from me, I was kind of thrown in this depths of depression. I felt like I did not have a definition because I was unable to run. Kind of brought to my knees in this point of desperation. It's not like, obviously my like, life was not gonna end or anything like this, but that this had, this had become such a central portion of my life that when it was taken away, I felt like I had no meaning. And I know that's comparable for lots of other things in other people's lives. So it's a, hopefully, some comparison people can make to previous experiences in their own lives. Um, so in all, and then additionally, because I had been spending four or five hours a day running, I suddenly had all sorts of time on my hands. And I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. So I um, started, um, I had, when I got to college, I had continued to go to Mass for some unknown reason because I did not understand what was going on at Mass. I had no investment in the Catholic Church and it just seemed like the right thing to do. Thanks be to God, the grace of God working in my life, that that still happened. But because of this kind of borderline, hair-thin like hair thin connection I had maintained with the Church, um, I started getting more involved with the Newman Center which is the Catholic Center on campus once um, after I broke my foot and had all this time. And through that process, I ended up going on a retreat um, while I was still in a boot and on crutches. I could barely move. Um, and I, at, on this retreat, I had a very powerful experience at adoration. So I had been, I had obviously been through First Communion classes and all this sort of thing. So from an intellectual perspective, I understood that the Catholic Church taught that Jesus was really present in the Eucharist. But this was the first time ever that I really knew that Jesus was actually present in the Eucharist. Body, blood, soul, and divinity present to me there. Um, and that I knew that if Jesus was really present in the Eucharist at adoration, that means that I needed to completely change my life. Because if that was true, that means that at every single Mass, I was receiving Jesus in me. And that means that Jesus was becoming part of my body, which means that I was becoming Jesus, as we are all being transformed into the body of Christ. And if that is true, I knew my body was no place that Jesus wanted to be at that point in time. And that if this is happening, that I need to change how I'm living. Um, so from this amazing experience of this sudden knowledge of this real, of the real presence, literally, and that I had felt really for the first time ever, um, I felt... Um, I knew that I needed to, most importantly, develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
because obviously if he's, he is who I am developing this intimate relationship with, who I am becoming, that I need to have a relationship with him. So I started to pray um, after I got back from this retreat, and I started to actually read scripture, and I actually started to try to figure out what the church actually taught instead of what people told me the church taught. So um, I started to kind of do some investigation work um, and started to grow deeper into my faith um, while I was at U of I, University of Illinois. And, um, and also in this experience, this, the level like this feeling of deep union and deep connection that I felt with Jesus at this powerful experience that I had at Adoration was actually the beginning of my call to religious life. And then I felt that, that if this was true, that I was supposed to be dedicating my life completely to this reality that was be- I was becoming very aware of and um, that I was becoming increasingly aware of in my own life. So, um, uh, so I was back at college trying to do my thing. I tried to get back into running, went very poorly, struggled immensely with trying to get back in shape. Um, broke two more bones in a period of a year trying to kind of get back into shape and it didn't really work out very well. Partially because the Lord knew I was incredibly dense. So he, um, so he knew this was kind of the path that he needed to do to make this happen. Um, because the rest of my college career was a pretty much a battle uh, between me and God. Trying to figure out um, where running was going to be in my life. Because, because I was much more comfortable with running being the center of my life, and both because it, that was where I had been for so long, and additionally because um, it's much easier to um, be a good runner and to be someone who's you know, very focused on oneself. Um, it, if you're at any level of elite athletics, it ends up being a relatively selfish activity in some level because you're very, very focused on all of your particular needs. So that was much more of a comfortable place for me. So um, battle between, and then, but then of course the Lord had begun this experience that he wanted to be the center of my life. He wanted to make sure that I knew that I was a beloved daughter of God and that this is this is how I was supposed to identify myself as a beloved daughter of God, not an elite distance runner. So, I, um, and during this time, I, I was making progress, and I did admit to other human beings that I felt like I was called to become a sister during this point in time as well. And um, eventually started to actively discern religious life. So I started to go to different communities to try to um, determine where God was calling me to be. So at one point in my discernment, I started to discern with a community with, uh, where if I would have joined that community, I never would have been able to run again. With the, because of the nature of that community, they're more contemplative and they spend most of their time praying and they, that's their way of life. There's nothing wrong with them. There's not, they're not a, they're a healthy, normal community, but that's just not part of their way of life. So, um, but 
I knew at that point if I was going to continue discerning with them, this was something that I needed to deal with immediately. So um, I was praying, and I told the Lord finally, Lord, if this is really what you actually really want me to do, for real, I will never run again. So at that point in time, um, when I finally totally gave running to the Lord, is when he gave running back to me. Running was given back to me, now not as a self-centered kind of way to promote myself, doing cool stuff, but like a way to glorify him and literally live out glorifying God in my body and being a way to show others that the amazing gifts that God has blessed me with. So this total like 180 transformation of my attitude towards running, um, God gave me running back. And um, I ended up then um, discerning or finding my community. And we're called the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago, as was mentioned. And we um, work on the west side of Chicago, which in fact is a neighborhood. And it is a place and it is... There's an east side of Chicago, and it's kind of not in the lake. But anyway, I work in West Humboldt Park. I work in West Humboldt Park, which is one of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago. In my neighborhood, about 70% of the kids will never graduate from high school, and 100% of our kids are not able, to, do not have a food-secure household, meaning they don't have enough food at their house to live as a, nutrition, a nutritionally well-fed child. Um, and we have a really terrible, we have the highest per capita um, everything bad, um, but we have the highest per capita juvenile arrest rate in the state of Illinois, and all everything bad in our neighborhood. So we, the Franciscans of the Eucharist, work, um, we feed about 700 families a month. We work, we have about 900 at-risk youth involved in our after-school and evening programs to keep them off the streets and out of gangs, um, trying to keep the kids focused, getting them out of school, um, which has been real, pretty successful. We're very grateful for a lot of support that we've received for those programs from other agencies. Um, and we have senior citizens programming. A lot of the seniors in our neighborhood are raising their grandchildren because a lot of the parents are in jail or on drugs or not capable of caring for their children. So we provide a lot of support for the grandparents who are acting as parents because they no longer have incomes and are no longer able to really provide for these kids completely. Um, additionally, we have what we call a community dinner program, and that's, um, it's not a soup kitchen, but it's a hot meal program where we bring families together to have meals together. Our neighborhood is extremely broken by violence and other um, difficult problems. So this is a chance for families in the neighborhood to come together to eat together, to pray together and to eat together um, over in our church. We also do lots of other stuff. We do retreats and 500 random things. So um, random stuff. So and then, um, but then additionally, we are going to be teachers. So I'm in process of getting my master's in teaching. And then we, are, we will eventually have perpetual adoration. Uh, my community was just founded in 2010. We're a brand new community. That's not a normal thing, kind of a relatively rare occurrence. 
and we have seven sisters right now and a priest. We are not able to currently sustain perpetual adoration, but we will soon. God, God has been very generous with vocations, and we believe that this will definitely be happening relatively soon. Um, so I'm able to, because God is so back, God gave me running back, and I was able to use running to glorify him. Um, I now use running to raise awareness for religious life, raise awareness for our work at Mission of Our Lady of the Angels, that's the name of our outreach to the poor, and to, um, uh, and to, we have, so we have, and to raise money for our work. So we have a marathon team and a half marathon team that raises money for all of our work. Dave was on our marathon team, it was awesome, that's how I ended up here, so it's super grateful. Amazing how God works that through the marathon team is how I ended up here to give all these talks. So this is really cool, it's kind of this crazy thing. Um, and so it's really beautiful. Um, and so that has been an amazing blessing. We've raised a ton of money and a ton of support through the marathon team. I would have never imagined anything like that when we started the marathon program a while ago. Um, and then I have been, through the marathon team, have been able to start to run fast again um, as I've been able to kind of build back up from my college injuries. And I ran a 253 marathon in 2014 which is about 10 minutes off the Olympic trials qualifying time. So um, by, 2000, by 2019, when I would have to have the qualifier, I hope to be, uh, have gotten the qualifier for the Olympic trials in the marathon. Um, so that's my goal, we'll see how it goes. Um, and um, so yes, um, it's very mysterious how God pulls together all these crazy things from your life to make things happen that you never would have expected. Um, but it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful, I'm very grateful for the way that the Lord has worked in my life. It's been an amazing road and I'm only 28, so it's gonna keep going, I'm sure. So I'm excited. Um, so uh, it'll be really great. Um, so I wanted to leave time for questions because I feel like a lot of the best conversations or things at talks oftentimes come from questions. So. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> Let's segue into that. <laughs> if not, I'll talk over you. Yes. Do the other sisters run also? So that's a great question, actually. So another one of our sisters is no. It's you'll. It's a very. You'll see why in a second. Um, one of the reasons that I found my community in particular was because of running. One of our sisters who was, so I was actually the third sister to join the community because um, we were so brand new. Um, for a long time, it was just three sisters and our superior. It was, we were real small for a while. And um, so she was, she had $95,000 worth of college loans that she needed to pay off before she entered the convent. So she, and she had she was working for the archdiocese. So let's just say she was not making the big bucks to pay off that debt. So she was um, she was looking for creative ways to pay off all of these loans because she wanted to become a novice the next year and she needed to get it done before then. So she so one of her friends was like, hey, she's not a run, not a runner. She's like, hey, you should run marathons. <laughs> you should pay off your debt. And she's like. No way, that's crazy. So, um, but she ended up doing it. And she ran races to pay off her debt, and it, she paid off $95,000 worth of debt in a year. 
Um, the fa I found her story, which is one of the ways that I ended up finding our community to begin with. So she runs some now. She mostly did that, and then she kind of stopped. <laughs> but she, um, she runs some, and then some of our other sisters run some. Um, and we have some of them running on the half marathon team this year, so it should be fun. Um, she's also the sister who won Chopped. Did anybody see Chopped? Yes, that's Sister Alicia Torres. She won Chopped. So she's legit. So um, she's way better speaker than me, and she's like super good cook. She's amazing, so it's awesome. Awesome. Do you have a question? Do you have a question? Oh, yeah. Yes, I will repeat the questions. Yes. Oh, perfect. A microphone. Yeah. No, she was just telling me to repeat the questions, but now we have a microphone. So everything's improved. Um, anybody else have a question? That's a really also great question. So right now, um, there I have like I literally have running uniforms sitting in my basement waiting for the day. I have I have running uniforms that someone gave me from an old running team that I was on, like waiting for the day when I'm gonna start my track team. I'm so excited, but it hasn't happened. It has not happened yet. <laughs> so um, right now I do tons of maintenance work and administrative work and development work and background work. And I'm still, we're still renovating lots of buildings. So um, right now, most of my time is engulfed and um, let's say swamped by plumbing problems, among other things. So I spend significant amount of time working on a lot of background work soon. And I'm getting all these degrees and uh, stuff, stuff, stuff. So, um, but eventually I'm hoping, we, I do have hopes to work um, directly with the kids to run soon, sooner than later, hopefully. So. I, so that 2.53 that I ran in two years, 2.53 that I ran the two years ago, they don't have, marathon is not a distance in college, so you don't run the marathon in college, you run shorter stuff. So the 2.53 marathon that I ran two years ago was my best marathon time. Yeah. 2.53. Two hours and 53 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good question. So um, I had asked, everyone can hear the questions now. So after my initial foot injury, I tried to get back completely. I thought I was going to be back and totally fine, but I never, I had lost like an, kind of like a competitive edge or something. It was it's like not even describable almost, but just I had, was not able to kind of get back to that same level that I had been before. Um, and I tried, trust me, I tried real hard to make that happen. It was not working. So, um, and um, then, so after this experience where I felt, where I knew that um, there was a very slow process, unlike the experience at Adoration where I had that, that was a very powerful in the moment experience. This kind of realization that God had given me running back was a more slow process and kind of a 2020 hindsight type thing where you realize afterwards that that's what happened. Um, 
So because it, I ended up, I kind of just finally became at peace that running was not going to be central of my life. That was the, I did feel very much peace at that point in time. And then after I graduated from college, I took a couple years very easy. I ran some marathons, but I was like, just kind of jogging around. So, um, and then um, a couple years ago, I knew, kind of part of this was that I knew I still had it in me. And it was largely because of this experience that I had that, at that point in time where I realized that running was still going to be very important. I just didn't know kind of when. That I knew that I had to try to, to actually train again to try to run fast again. So does that make sense? Yeah. So any other questions? Yeah. Oh, I don't run in my neighborhood. Yeah, no. So, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, okay, the habit is not a bulletproof vest, for sure, but it's a very clear distinguishing mark, like don't mess around type thing. So, when I do not wear my habit when I run, I wear another outfit, so I do not run in my neighborhood because people don't know who the random white girl running around is. So I go away. Um, so um, and so I, because um, we, we're very careful, even in our habits, of what we're doing, where we're going, who we're by, what's happening. We're very aware of our surroundings, and because we know what's going on, pretty much, we're we're safe. And the the guys who are in the gangs are very protective of us and our buildings. So we're very safe where we are. Um, but we just have to be cautious and not do stuff like that. So we, I drive out of the neighborhood. I mostly do most of my running on a treadmill, actually. So um, that helps too. It's inside. So, and questions? Yeah, there's two over here, I think, here. And then, yeah, first, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so yeah, I was 19 when I started discerning religious life, so that's pretty young. Um, and um, uh, I mean, I was always a little bit kind of <laughs> on the edge <laughs> of like doing kind of not traditional things. So um, like some, it may have been um, less of a jarring transition than others, and like. I mean, one of my friends from high school, when I wasn't religious, claims that, oh, yeah, I knew you were going to be a nun. I'm like, ah, no, that's a bunch of junk. What are you talking about? But so, you know, people claim that they figured this out. So, um, and, um, but, um, so I guess it's easiest to explain with the vows, probably. So um, I always had this very deep desire to give all my stuff away. It's a little bit strange, I know. But um, I just did not want to have anything. Like, why? I just want to, like, pick up a bag that's everything I own and just go. Like, I don't, this is, we're supposed to be, um, even before I was very deep into my faith, it was just like, we just got to be 
we got to be flexible. We got to be able to meet the needs of the world. I was kind of one of these like you know hippie-ish social justice people, and then I was doing this thing like outside of faith. So um, that was always a desire of me, desire of mine, even before I was kind of started discerning religious life. Um, and then um, chastity. So not having a husband or children um, was. Um, I, because of this union, this experience that I had with, with Jesus in the Eucharistic adoration, during my discernment, that was actually a relatively easy transition to make, which is a blessing, because I know for some people that's like the major, major, major step that they have to make in their discernment. Um, so that was the easiest part. The most challenging part was um, obviously the running part that I described, as well as the concept of obedience and the concept of um, knowing that I was going to be giving up a lot of my, quote, personal freedoms to um, live in a structured environment where I did not have full choice over my day-to-day -day activities. So um, that was the most, the biggest struggle. But then when I knew, when I kind of came to the realization that the vow of obedience is not a no, 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 no experience, but really what it is is a yes, yes, yes experience, a continual every day, like almost every minute, yes to God. You're continuously saying yes to the Lord because when your superior speaks, as long as your superior is not doing something against the teachings of the church, which my superior is not because he's awesome, is that um, then you are automatically following God's will in your life. So every, all of my actions are just, it's a way of you know, continuously giving, a, giving my life to the Lord. So kind of after I made that transition, that was pretty. Um, is, that was easier to take, and then my friends were kind of expecting me to do something like this, honestly, because that's kind of how I how I've been rolling forever. So um, that was less. They weren't that concerned. They were okay. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Okay. Any questions? <laughs> I can repeat the questions too, that's fine. We can do that. <laughs> Father. <laughs> yeah, great question. Um, so um, I mentioned that I run on a treadmill a lot. So as, as anyone who's ever spent time on a treadmill knows, it's like, very challenging. <laughs> so um, I listen to music often on the treadmill, and then I also simultaneously pray the rosary. So then you can ha have everything occupied, your, bra your brain, your hands, your everything. So you're just, because the treadmill drives, can drive you crazy. But that's why I run on the treadmill. The marathon is all about being mentally tough. It's not about 26 miles. It's not about any of the stuff. It's all about telling yourself for two hours and 43 minutes, that you can run this fast without slowing down. <laughs> so it's like, it's just this continuous, like, convincing of yourself that this is what you need to do. So the treadmill really prepares you for that. So that's why I do that. Um, and then when I'm outside, um, I really don't, I pray the rosary sometimes, but most of the time, I'm just, um, I'm also very blessed to be able to run by Lake Michigan often, so it's really beautiful. Kind of this, I just have this very, kind of a sense of quiet and peace, that I'm able to just be really quiet and be with the Lord, um, kind of in the actual physical experience of running. Um, as you may have figured out by now, I'm kind of like borderline ADD. So regular praying is um, difficult for me, like sitting in a chair. 
because I'm just like, ah, like, like just like all the place. So um, this running actually is an almost easier way for me to pray than when I'm sitting still because I'm able to kind of have some energy outlets <laughs> while, I'm doing, while I'm trying to pray. So does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the our community is really a miracle in and of itself. Um, very briefly, so the creation of our community is intertwined with the creation of our current apostolate, so our current outreach, which I mentioned is called Mission of Our Lady of the Angels. Um, so, very long, very long story short, in 1958, there was a tragic school fire in the building in the in at our location where we currently are. They killed 92 children and three sisters. Um, it's a, in Chicago, it's like a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, very like nationally known tragedy. Um, Cardinal, so after that fire, um, the, uh, everyone started leaving the neighborhood because they could not stand being there anymore because of the memories of the children, memories of the sisters. So people started leaving, paired, with the demographic shifts of the 60s led to the neighborhood that we have today, a total urban poverty disaster zone. So, um, and at that point in time, the parish, the parish ended up closing in 1990. So there's all these build, beautiful buildings there. Cardinal George, who used to be the Archbishop of Chicago, um, asked Father Bob Lombardo, my superior, to come from New York City where he was running the largest facility in New York City for the homeless mentally ill, most challenging job on the planet, um, to come and um, work on the west side. So he came and started an outreach to the poor there called Mission of Our Lady of the Angels that does what I just described a little while ago, all the work with the poor. Um, but we, he renovated all the buildings because everything had fallen apart between the, the closing of the parish and the opening of the mission. Um, so during that, young people in sh the Chicago area started to come to Father Bob for spiritual direction because they felt like they were called to religious life and priests from the diocese had started to refer young men and young women to Father Bob to uh, have for spiritual direction for if they were discerning religious life. So he, Father Bob kept sending people away to other religious communities, say go, go, go look at these communities, go. Um, and they kept coming back saying, nah, we're not finding anything that we want to do. We want to be here at the mission. So F Father Bob discerned with Cardinal George that this was actually the beginning of a new religious community. And that was, the, so that's us. We're called the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago. Um, and we were founded, like I mentioned, to work with the poor, teach in poor Catholic schools that are financially unstable, um, so we can help keep them open, and to begin and maintain sites of perpetual adoration. So that's our; those are our three main tasks, which obviously overflows into doing retreat work and doing other things too. But that's kind of our general status. Um, and so um, there's seven sisters right now. Um, we just recently got some more, so we're even smaller, relatively recently. And then um, Father Bob, right now, and we we will. God willing, have a parallel community of friars, so brothers and priests, but they just haven't shown up yet. 
So you gotta pray, they show up. Because right now, I do all the maintenance work and I do all of the manual labor. <laughs> so, um, because all the other sisters, a lot of them have bad backs that are not are able to do it. So, which is great. I actually really love doing it, but I would really, it'd be really great to have a guy, too, to help me. <laughs> so, we're good, good. Any other questions? That's an excellent question. Um, so really, no one in a gang really wants to be in a gang. <laughs> That's the mystery as well. Um, the, um, the mystery of urban poverty is, is very, very, it's very complicated. Um, so here's the general overview. Um, young man, um, dad, jail, not present, not available during his childhood. Um, he, um, because he, because there's not a stable home life, he has, he, he doesn't have a family, no family structure. He ends up dropping out of high school just because why, why no one else finishes high school or I don't understand what's going on in high school. This seems dumb. I'm going to drop out. So they drop out. And then they, the only, one of the only accepted ways that's not associated with an educational institution for social movement and mobility in our neighborhood as being in a gang. So it seems like it's a normal process or more of a normative act for a young man to join a gang because that's the way that a lot of these young men feel included and get that family that they never had when they were kids because their family structure was so messed up because of various reasons. So um, this is not exactly their first choice but this is how they're able to find family and find belonging um, in a very challenging situation. So um, they don't want their kids to do that. Um, when they have their own kids, they don't want, they want their kids to go to school. They want their kids to graduate from high school. They don't want their kids back in the same situation in the same neighborhood that they did and their dads did and everyone else did before them. So, but a lot of the times because of the struggling family structure, it ends up happening again. Um, so they protect us because we're taking care of their kids, we're feeding their moms, we're feeding their everybody else. So they, it's kind of like this circle of that we're kind of providing a lot of that out, finally, that they are not able to provide just because of very complicated situations. Does that make sense? As much as it can, because it doesn't really make sense in general, ever. So it's confusing and crazy. Um, any other questions? Dave. <laughs> so in your story, you share about the moment of, of desperation that I think anyone in this room at any point in our lives could potentially identify with. Mm -hmm. What would you say to potentially someone who's at that point in their life in this room tonight? What would you share with them? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, That are, um, Jesus is so, I mean, so much, it seems so fake 
Jesus seems so fake when you're not when you don't have a personal relationship with him. The whole the whole thing seems like this made up story that's just people have been perpetuating for forever. Just like this kind of happy dappy thing that seems cool. Um, until one actually has a profound encounter with Jesus, which needs to happen either through the sacraments or through other people or through prayer. So if anyone is in this point of desperation that um, to seek talking to someone, go find someone to talk to, um, find someone who's, who they know um, is solid in their faith. Find someone that they're that they're willing to spend time talking with, or and or and um, probably seek out a priest. Talk to a priest, um, and if you can't talk to a priest, some talk to someone who probably has access to a priest, um, and to start praying, even if it's very basic, like Lord. I have no idea if you exist or not, but you need to help me figure this out because if not, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so it's just these very basic, like, just calls out prayers. It doesn't need to be complicated. Some people, at least I was afraid of praying because I didn't know what to say to God. It just seems such like a big daunting task to talk to God, but that we can able, we're able to just, you know, say what we need to say. Say what you feel is on your heart, that sort of thing. Don't be afraid or shy or timid in your prayer. Um, and then more, more importantly for everyone else who's had a point of desperation in their life, we got to be the people who are there for these people when they're at that point. Um, we're the people who need to be there when, um, every, when whoever, people at your work, people that you know, people in your neighborhood, people in church, they go to church. Um, we need to be there when people need us. Um, we need to be there when people just need to talk to someone. We need to be there... It's just, you know, bizarre things, like, so, you know someone's mom is sick, and the littlest thing, like, staying with the person, driving, driving her, driving someone to the hospital to visit their sick relative, like, just being present to people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was present to people. Jesus walked with people. Jesus walks with us. So we need to be able to be Jesus to others by just walking with people. This is not complicated. You do not need a degree in theology to do this. You just need to be present to people. Be with others. Um, as Jesus would. So, hopefully that answers your question. Any other questions? Looks good. We'll get two other sugar. Yeah, we'll do, like, we'll do these two more. And I can talk to everybody else later, too. I was wondering if there was any name or address that you wanted to send funds to help your Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, so the question was, if you wanted to send a donation to our community, absolutely, we'd be super grateful. We do not have a regular source of funding. Um, we would be very grateful. I have the information with me if anybody wants to see me at the little reception party thing, and I will give you the information. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Um, yeah, right here? Yeah, right here. Yeah, woo! Hi. Hi. I was just going to ask, have you family? Yeah, great question. Um, my family, um, my parents mainly, um, so they were not too keen on the whole sister thing when it came up the first time. So um, <laughs> I learned many lessons of that experience. So the um, but um, my mom, as mentioned at the time, was not Catholic, and my dad was 
kind of wishy-washy about the church. So he, my dad had this picture of, you know, this 1950s nun with a ruler, like, smacking him in, like, you know, third grade. He could not, like, get it out of his head for, like, years. So this took, he's just recently kind of come past the stage. <laughs> so, um, and then um, my mom, like, just had, she, because she did not have a context for sisters in her mind. She just had no idea what I was going to be doing. She had no idea what this meant. She just was very confused. Um, Thanks be to God, both of them made much progress. My mom actually entered the church in 2014. Insane. Yeah, God is good. So, um, so the um, the Lord really worked. It was an, I was super blessed to be your sponsor. It was like a miracle, absolute miracle, um, crazy. So, um, and then my dad is just he's very he's at peace with the situation now. He sees mostly through the witness of that we that people have been very supportive of us i think his main worry was that he wanted to be like you know successful business lady doing my thing but like um that how generous people have been to us and the amazing witness of the divine providence of god in our lives at the mission and that we most certainly are provided for by god um has been the biggest witness for him um and my friends they, like I said, like I was mentioning before, they kind of expected me to do something kind of whacked out, a little bit crazy. So they were like, oh, yeah, that's just, that's kind of normal-ish. I don't even know, Stephanie, what are you doing? So the, um, so um, they were, they were pretty, they think it's cool. They're um, very supportive. And then obviously kind of as I was getting more into my faith, I got a lot of very solid Catholic friends at U of I, University of Illinois, too. So they were very, very supportive of the, of my stuff as well. So, awesome. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. Um, if anybody has any other questions, I'd be happy to talk to you at the, wherever this is happening, this way. I see it's happening this way. Yeah, Leah. Thank you.